All right, Jeremy, what do you have today? Jack Smith eats lunch. What do you have? I have the sound of freedom. And I have milk dumping. Let's get to the truth. Okay, people, let's begin. We have liftoff! Get up, everybody! Are you ready to be baited with the truth? Good, because you're listening to the Truth Bait Podcast. I'm documentary filmmaker and podcaster Andrew Marcus. And with me always as we deconstruct America's propaganda war and put some truth back into the narrative... Is the only cultural ni- oh, cultural therapist you should be listening to. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, let's give it up for the one and only rebel pundit, Jeremy Siegel. Who are you going to call me? I think I accidentally almost called you cultural narrative. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I, I you used were to call say, me a cultural therapist. I used to say, uh, you know, we were gonna we were remaking the cultural narrative in our image, and I've I've over time I've dropped that out, and I must have just lost control there for a minute. <laughs> you know, almost said something there I didn't mean to say. All right, I stopped myself. I repaired it, and now we've drawn too much attention to it. Jeremy, a cultural therapist. Have you shared the show recently? I've shared it. Have you shared it? I have shared it. Our downloads are growing. And uh, we ask other people to share the show. Please share the show. Uh, like the show. Subscribe to the show. Leave a comment where you listen to the show. If you listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, you go to our show page. You scroll all the way down past our episodes. That is where you can rate the show and leave a note, leave a message. I haven't checked. Any, Do I, it. I have not checked since last week if, uh, or since our last episode. Let's see. Anything new? I'm checking. Oh, oh. There, we went up one rating. Oh, yeah. A new five-star. They're all five-star ratings. We have very intelligent and discerning listeners. We should be rich. <laughs> We can be. We just have to do something else besides podcasting. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, how was your weekend? Did you have a good weekend? A lot of diapers here. Are you using all cloth diapers there? We're not that rugged of homesteaders. How many diapers do you go through a day? First of all, how many of your kids are in diapers right now? Actually, only two, which is pretty amazing since all six of our kids are under seven or under. <laughs> but uh, it's funny, yeah. We, we, there's a, there's a, that there's an acquaintance, 
There's an acquaintance that you and I both have uh, in the Washington D.C. area who was telling me about his span of the span, the range of his kids. He had four kids, and they were spaced out evenly enough that they had diapers in their household. He said for something like for like 14 years. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I I think we're we're almost done. And we've we've got six kids in the house, and we're going to be done in six years, seven years. So I'm I'm glad about that. Uh, well, I'm excited for your <laughs> diaper filled weekend. Yeah. Uh, so well, what are we starting with today? Sounded like you had something interesting. Well, I have. I you know I I did go to see Sound of Freedom. Do you want to start with Sound of Freedom? Yeah, because you talk you talked about it in the last episode, and I saw you tweet about it. What did I tweet? I don't remember what you I. You just tweeted. tweeted something like, you know that that you've seen the movie, and whoever wants to find out the truth about the it, truth, the truth, the real truth. The That's right. Here, let me go. I'm going to go back mm-hmm. and look and see what what it was that I tweeted. Yeah. I, I tweeted about myself in the third person. Andrew has now seen the film <laughs> as though we have a Twitter staff. <laughs> Andrew has now seen the film, our humble yet correct deconstruction on the next episode of the Truth Bait podcast, which is this episode of the Truth Bait podcast. Yes, I have been to see the film. Jeremy, are you planning on seeing the film at all? I'd like to see it, especially since you've seen it. I'm not going to... Um, there won't be any spoiler, uh, any spoilers in this report. I think people know... But do you know what the film is about? Yeah, child trafficking. That is correct. And it's based on a true story. And uh, it's a true story about a uh, gentleman who used to work for the government named Tim Ballard. And he would, his job was tracking down basically end users of child pornography. And he was busting these guys. And the the line that's viral from the trailer uh, that's made its way around is, uh, you know, his, his partner saying, you know, how many, how many of these guys have you busted? And he says, 280. And he says, how many children have you recovered? And then there's this long pause because none, that wasn't his job. He wasn't recovering children. Um, here, I have a clip of Tim Ballard talking with President Trump when Trump was in office, uh, just to give you a little bit of background on him. Thank you very much. I spent 12 years as a special agent, as an undercover operator, working on the southern border, working sex trafficking cases. Um, and I can tell you, you're exactly right. Uh, one little girl I can tell you about, in fact, I introduced this little girl to Ms. To Trump uh, during a private briefing. This little girl was kidnapped in Central America, 11 years old, groomed for two years, with the intent of getting her ready to come to America. Why? Because we are the highest consuming nation of child pornography. We are the clientele that's the big money. They brought this little girl through a, a part of the, of the southern border where there was no wall, Easily got her to New York City, and this is hard to hear, but this is the truth, and everyone needs to hear this. Uh, you know, maybe actually people should, if you have kids in the room, this might be a good time to actually not have kids in the room. Uh, My kids are not in the room. <laughs> yeah, right now they're not. 
Uh, yeah, I think you may want to decide. Just a fair warning. I, there's nothing too graphic. I've you know I've cleaned this up, but uh, just in case, I don't know how you know some people have very young children in the room while they're listening. Yeah, so, sure. So we I just want to be careful for people's sensitivities. Mature content. Yes, mature content. Yeah. Okay. This little girl, and this is a very typical for money every day, thirty to forty times a day. If that's not a crisis, if that's not an emergency, I don't know what is. You, what, what you didn't hear, essentially, I'll just paraphrase, the, the child is being sexually abused that many times a day. Okay. Now, let me say this. Had there been a wall, had there been a barrier, this little girl likely would have been saved because the traffickers would have been forced to take this child through the port of entry where we have amazing law enforcement. I've worked with these people. These are the best people on the planet. They can detect, they have equipment, they have trained agents. In contrast, while this was happening, I was working another case. A little boy, a Mexican boy who was kidnapped by an American trafficker by a child pornographer. He kidnapped Mexican children, brought them to San Bernardino County, where he had a, a makeshift studio, made child porn with these little children, five years old. This little boy was kidnapped in Mexicali, Mexico, where there was a wall, where there is a barrier, and so he was forced to take this little boy through the Calexico port of entry, and guess what? It worked. We captured him. We rescued the little boy, and subsequently rescued 12 other children in San Bernardino, California. The difference between those two cases is two plus two equals four. The wall was the difference. The wall rescued this little boy, and the lack of a wall caused this little girl to go through a hell that is indescribable, that is not manufactured. It is a real crisis. It is a real emergency. So basically, he was, like I said, he was tracking down uh, end users of child pornography. And eventually, he basically asked for permission to go to where this all of this content was being made, uh, a lot of it south of the border, um, and to bust people there and, and, to, and to rescue the children. And it's a it's a frustrating tale. He goes down there. They uh, the the U.S. government basically you know lets him set up shop, but then always cuts him short. You know, always cuts him off before he can really get any of the children because none of the children he was finding were American children, and he you know uh, uh, was they they didn't really seem to have an interest in busting these rings if there weren't Americans. American children to rescue. That's the way it seemed. Um, mm-hmm. And so he leaves the government. He opens up Operation Underground Railroad and uh, basically freelances rescuing children and uh, had a very dramatic rescue that was profiled by CBS and uh, was eventually made into this movie, Sound of Freedom. It is the fastest growing international crime network that the world has ever seen. It has already passed the illegal arms trade, and soon it's going to pass the drug trade. Because you can sell a bag of cocaine one time with a child, five to ten times a day. God's children are not for sale. So that's I just cut that little piece from the preview. All right, so that mm-hmm. that should tee up for you what the film is uh and so what you were talking in the last episode about 
you did not have high hopes for it being an entertaining film. You were looking for it to entertain you. I was worried from the trailer. Because everything he does sounds like this. And it's really serious. Sweetheart, let's go to IHOP for breakfast. (laughs) I'm very hungry. I think I'm going to get... talk like... A tall Stop stack. talking like that. Yeah, it's <laughs> making me uncomfortable. <laughs> so I was worried that it was... I, I was worried about it. I was very wrong. It's an extremely entertaining film. People should go see it. That's. I want to say that off the top uh, before really getting into to the meat of it. Uh, it. It is definitely an entertaining and a successful film. I will say this... Uh, Jim, uh, I'm going to mispronounce his, how do you say his last name? I don't know. I just call him Cavazil or Cavazil, but I I have no idea. Jim Caviezel. (laughs) Jim Caviezel. Hey, I have no idea. I've never, I've never heard anyone in the real media say his name, so I don't know. Uh, Well, so uh, he's my least favorite part of the whole thing, actually. I don't think he's people. I'm worried I'm going to lose. We're going to lose listeners from this because people feel very passionate about this film. And again, what I'm saying about him as an actor has nothing to do with you know whether or not you should see this film or anything about the film. I just I'm not. I don't love him. There was some amazing acting in this film. Uh, Bill Camp, who plays uh, Vampiro. Um, uh, who else? The children who are in this, uh, Crystal Aparicio, Lucas Avila, absolutely stunning performances from them. Cinematography was absolutely amazing. The directing was very well done. I, uh, and I thought it was, you know, pretty well written. I'm going to, I mean, I would say like on a, on a scale from one to 10, I would give it a very solid seven and a half. Would it have been better if Nicolas Cage played? <laughs> you know, yeah, maybe. The main character. No, I, you know, I don't. I, ha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not Nicolas Cage. He would, have been the, he would have been like the only other guy you could get for this role, probably. <laughs> well, Mel Gibson, right? Um, no, uh, yeah, Jim. To me, Jim is just flat. He's a one-dimensional character. Again, everything he says is like this. God's children are not for sale. Okay, and I get it's an extremely serious topic. And this is, I would almost say, you know, it's not as good as Schindler's List was for that topic. But in a way, this is like a Schindler's List for this type of, for, for this subject matter. It's a serious film. It's not a feel-good film. You're not going there to escape, uh, which is somehow you somehow you just degraded the Holocaust, you anti-Semite. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're the one that's putting up an RFK Junior sign in your yard, so <laughs> you might you might be the anti-Semite now. Ah, we'll get to that later on down down the road in this episode. Um, uh, so. I thought there were a lot of amazing things. What is more fascinating to me is the reaction from everybody. It's absolutely stunning. Here was this was on CNN, and they were one of the you know one of the media groups that went 
that seem to go crazy against the film. These films are created out of moral panics. They're created out of bogus statistics. They're created out of fear. And with something like Sound of Freedom, it specifically is looking at QAnon concepts of these child trafficking rings that are run by the high-level elites. So that's what that was the, the the emphasis of the narrative against the film from elite media is that this is just QAnon conspiracy theory. Uh, and there's a problem with that narrative, and it's this. These are real kids. I mean, I'm... I, That's Tim again. These are real kids. I mean, I'm, I, these kids are my friends. They're young adults now, the ones that were rescued. They're going to come out soon and tell their story. It's going to be very awkward when the mainstream media comes after these kids next and accuses them of being part of some conspiracy when, in fact, they were rescued from a life of rape. It's, it's, it's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in the media, perhaps. I mean, I think that... The left and the, these these media outlets, they don't want to have a discussion that this film is going to compel. A discussion about why 85,000 children showed up unaccompanied at the border and got released into the interior of a country that is uh, the highest consuming country for child exploitation material on the planet. They don't want to talk about why they, these same publications are pushing an agenda to change the word pedophile to minor attracted persons in order to normalize sexual activity with children. I think that's what they're trying to avoid. And they know this film's gonna shine a light on all of the things, all the atrocities happening in children. And so they have to discredit it by lying about it. Yeah, well, I haven't seen the movie yet, but now I want to see it because this thing made such a splash. And that was, I think, an incredibly important point. That was from Jesse Waters. And yeah, the... the the controversy makes you want to go see it. I went to go see it because of, in part because of the controversy of it. And I go to see a lot of movies, um, but uh, so I probably would have gone to see it anyway. Uh, but this, that the controversy absolutely drove eyeballs. It made it a mission film. It, it I, you know, the way that I equate this, it's almost like. Um, <sighs> Like the mask was during COVID, mask wearing. The mask became a virtue signal, right? If you wore the mask, then you were on the good team. And if you didn't wear the mask, you wanted to kill people, right? It was like a, a mm -hmm. demarcation line soci sociologically. And this film has become sort of the same thing. Yeah, If you don't go see this film then do you support child trafficking? You must support child trafficking. It has become the must-see film for people who understand that we're, uh, that there's something terrible going on in our culture. And well, It's a good way to sell more tickets. Well, here's what's at the end of the film. Thank you all for coming out and watching this movie. I'm guessing some of you are feeling sad, maybe overwhelmed, or even a sense of fear, which is understandable. But living in fear isn't how we solve this problem. It's living in hope. And now all of you have the opportunity to continue telling this story. We don't have big studio money to market this movie, but we have you. And the baton has now been passed to you. You are the storytellers that can get people to come see this film in theaters. We believe this movie has the power to be a huge step forward toward ending child trafficking 
but it will only have that effect if millions of people see it. We don't. <sighs> so, how is having millions of people see it going to end child trafficking? <laughs> That's what I was going to just ask you because you saw it. Now, like, what? Like, I, Jeremy, does, I did my does, part. Is the f- I have helped end child trafficking. What have you done? Right. right. Is does, does watching the film, now that you've seen the film, do you think that we're closer to ending child trafficking so, because of it? Okay. Because of what you saw? <laughs> or is what you saw in the film... Like, say you were somebody that was kind of on the fence about child trafficking. Like, maybe up in the <laughs> If air. I was on the fence. <laughs> right? Like, let's but just say... Let's, listen, I don't want to judge. Let's just say you, let's just say you were on... Right. Let's just say you were kind of like, hey, you know, I mean, I don't know if it's wrong or right. Let's just say that's how you were. Would this film have changed your mind? Uh... uh, uh Yes, <laughs> this film would have taken me right <laughs> off the fence. Uh, okay, there, well, that's good. The film has an important role to play. Okay, I don't want to diminish the importance of the film. It's important to bring attention to this issue. It's important because it'll have an effect on a community, much like uh, Fatal Attraction. Fatal Attraction, for a while, had the effect of... Uh, th- that was a movie uh, many years ago with Glenn Close and... Uh, Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas, thank you. And uh, and it was about he he had an affair uh, uh, with Glenn, Glenn Close. Close. Wasn't it Sharon Stone? No, it was Glenn Close. Oh, okay, I don't remember. Yeah, I think it was Glenn Close. It was Glenn Close. Um, and uh, he has an affair, and the whole thing goes completely wrong. She turns out to be a complete stalker, lunatic, and uh, uh, it, it ends up being a, a horror movie. Um, and that had the effect of reducing in marital inf- infidelity for a time, at least reportedly. I think that this film, in a sense, can have the same effect that it will make parents more aware of the problem, which will maybe make parents a little more guarded with their children. The story in this uh, starts out with it's a father uh, and uh, in Colombia, and he has uh, two children, a young boy and a young girl. Young girl sings, and uh, a child trafficker uh, hears the girl sing and invites her and the little boy to come to an audition and the audition happens in this building, and, and the father brings the children, and the uh, child trafficker says, oh, nope, no, no stage dads. Come back at 7 p.m. and pick up your kids. 7 p.m. sharp. The guy comes back at 7 p.m., and they've completely folded up shop, and all the kids are gone. Um, and as a viewer, your heart sinks, especially if you have children. You're like, oh. Is that part of the story true? I don't know if that part is actually true. I have not had time yet to go in and look at what is accurate to the story and what was dramatized. But I have to believe that that's a very common scenario. The it's the the probably the modeling, the acting, right. shot at stardom, you know. Yeah, uh, sure. So. And it gets the kid hooked in, daddy, daddy, please, mommy, please, let me, let me, you know, it's, and the parent doesn't want to let their child down. So it's, it's a very, uh, uh 
vulnerable kind of thing. Yeah. All right. So no. the, the film can, I think, can raise awareness. That's extremely positive. It can start conversations. Uh, and that's and and uh, Tim Ballard is right. These news organizations don't want to start these conversations. Normally, when it, you'd have an issue film like this, and it's out there being promoted, and the film companies are spending money placing ads, and the uh, the, the the stations, the the news organizations uh, uh, where these ads are playing, they'll do a segment with the. It's a it's a native ad for the film. They'll do a segment on their news that brings in somebody who's a specialist on the topic, and they'll talk about it. And that normally is how you can get you know really good social awareness on a topic. Um, it's really telling that prominent members of our mainstream media, rather than doing that with a story about child trafficking decided to turn it into a controversy and they turn it into a controversy. Like, like, you know, you, you saw that CNN, you heard that CNN clip that says that this is all QAnon. And well, yeah, I have to say like, well, do you want to finish your point? I have a different point. Well, I was just going to say that the, they just to give people perspective, the reason that they're saying that this is about QAnon is because of the lead actor, Mr. Uh, uh, Jim Caviezel. Because Jim Caviezel is definitely an activist, a passionate activist. And he has spoken... Is he a Q activist? So, you know what? I went looking for quotes of him supporting Q specifically. I was not really able to find anything of him supporting Q specifically. He speaks at an event, which I'm told is a QAnon event. It was a, a Patriot event in Las Vegas. But I don't. I can't verify that this was a QAnon event. I don't. Were there ever any QAnon events? I don't remember there being QAnon events, although I was never plugged into QAnon. Oh, so I was never plugged into QAnon, but I'm sure there were. You think so? I mean, there, yeah, because like there were people like Jerome Corsi and stuff who were huge Q people, and I'm sure they had little conferences and you know things like that, and getting people there. It became a real kind of cult. Hmm. around you know because it was a it was a big misinformation campaign and disinformation campaign that was you know going on and and it was it was really taking hold i think and getting followers to it and basically it was like a it was like a divide along the trump base where there was like people who were q and people who were not so I wouldn't. I'm. I never went to any or heard about any. But I, I bet if you looked, you find hmm. there were Q events. Uh, well, so he's identified as being Q. So when they're attacking the film for being Q, they're really attacking Jim Caviezel, which I think is really a disservice to Tim to Tim Ballard, who the film is really about. Because uh, mm-hmm. he has nothing to do with Q. This guy is literally d- putting his life on the line to try and rescue children from child trafficking. Uh, so it's 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 really despicable that the, these outlets are doing it. And you have to ask the question, why? Why are they doing that? Now, uh, you know, there's the school of thought that they're doing it because they support child trafficking. I don't 
know that that's what it is. I'm more of a uh, an Occam's Razor kind of guy. I, I I think that self interest is really usually more involved. I think that they hate Jim Caviezel, so I think that there's a personal issue here. And I'm going to play some clips that I think explain why they hate Jim Caviezel so much. Um, but I think also it's clickbait. By turning it into a Q narrative, it gets them clicks. They are it, it's it's less exciting for their audience if they just do a package, a segment where they bring on an expert on child trafficking. They talk about child trafficking. They they're not going to get as many eyeballs for that. But uh, oh, it's Q. It's this crazy these MAGA I mean, lunatics. Now that excites uh, the CNN base. Yeah, but so like, but this is what I started thinking like if there is something else going on there with the Q thing because i don't know what it what it like it, it'd be what is the the this this rate you know that the US is the the highest consuming nation of you know uh, so child I know, pornographic I feel you. Kind of like I like does feel that mean you. there are there are there millions of people okay. viewing this content? Right. Are there so hundreds? Now, like what it what is it? Yes, now is Because you, it's clearly it's wrong. I mean that's no one's arguing about that, but like I I you know, you always see you know, they find the, the oh the they got the priest, they got the pastor, they got the teacher. There's always they always you know they got the weird guy mailman whatever. They always got somebody they found with this content on their computer. You know, there's like is is it masses of masses of people that are. That are, that that this industry is is so big and widespread. I, that's well, how one big thing does I'm the how right big now. does the industry need to be for you to be number one? <laughs> you know what I'm the, saying? Right. That's uh, right. That's how you ask the. That's a better way to ask the question. Right. I, I, I just asked. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I think what you're getting at is: is it possible that? I mean, I don't even want to look. I don't even want to search. Right. For the data, because I'm going to have to search. Child porn, right? No, I, I, I don't then think that I'm going to get dinged. No, for I don't think you need to. It. I don't think you need to. I understand where you're going with this. Let me. You tell me if I have this correct. You're wondering: Is it possible that this is an op? That we are that 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 yeah that we are being fed an over uh, a, a dramatization, an over dramatization right. of how bad the over problem is to get people of how thinking bad, right. that it's and happening. An exaggeration everywhere. of how bad the problem is that it's so widespread, and that we've been hearing about people have been, and it has been all the Q people, by the way, that have been pushing all of this stuff. That there's going to be mass arrests, and right. they're going to be sweeping up people in Hollywood, yes. and all these people in media and governors, and and basically they've got you believing that everybody out there is a pedophile, you know, with with a you know with kids locked up in their closets at home that they stole from Mexico, right? 
I, I hear you. And when I when you and hear I, Tim I Ballard, I have a hard time believing that that's right. When you hear that, Tim that would Ballard, be when you hear Tim Ballard talk about the, that this American citizen is kidnapping children south of the border, bringing them into the United States, and using them to film child uh, uh, exploitation films uh, with five year olds in a warehouse, you think that can't possibly be happening here. I I hear you. And I do believe. I do believe it's happening but i but i'm questioning at what scale i have you know, two words what, for you i have two words for you jeffrey epstein you have to calculate in what we know jeffrey epstein was real that really was happening we were our government was really <laughs> working with someone to and other governments probably to use child exploitation to entrap people. And I think what is even a huge, uh, maybe a bigger business is, and this film really touches on it, is American sex tourism in, in other countries, which is absolutely a real problem. It's a real thing. Americans go to other countries to get what they can't get here. And right. a lot of times that that is exploitation of children. So yeah, I'm still one. I'm still wondering like how if it's something that is being turned into a much bigger item that is a distraction. Yeah, from I'm not sure. I don't. I, I don't think from so. other crime. Yeah, I don't, I don't think know. so. I don't think so. But I'll tell you what I do think is happening with this issue. Like when you had Comet Pizza. And Pizzagate, right? Okay, that's one I of the reasons I think that. I think that's a fake story that is. Designed. Well, we know they are. So I think that's a fake story that is used to create this impression that all of the stories are fake. So if every if 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 you have this high profile fake story, then you can say uh, it's all just conspiracy theory nonsense. So I think stories like that do get pushed out there. But this story was this story was verified true. This this was documented. This happened. This story oh, that right, they're, that, right. they're, that this film is about is documented to have happened. Sure, no, no, I, I I get that. I just like so like you just mentioned the PizzaGate and Comet Pizza thing, and you know uh, that all kinds of people were going around, you know, tweeting about what Andrew Breitbart had tweeted at John Podesta one time about mm. was it something about pizza, right? Yeah, I have to. I have to look at it again. And they tried, right? But what they did is they were saying even Andrew Breitbart was, you know, uh, onto this, and they were taking. And I don't remember the exact tweet it was, but you know, and I know he was talking about something completely unrelated and different. But they were using it as a as a way to verify or prove you know, the point that they were making. Yes. And so, you know, that was like fake news disinformation on the right from these Q people. Yes. And uh, Liz Crokin is one of them, and Mike Cernovich was another one of them that were doing this, using these, and using Andrew Breitbart to push this narrative out. And then you you know it's not true. So then you when I see that... Then I want I do wonder like how much information 
that they're putting out is accurate or not. So it's it's causing me to question it. It's working. <laughs> what is this is what's brilliant about the way that they've marketed this film, Jeremy. <laughs> They've injected this film directly into the middle of what you're describing. Into whether it's part of an op or they're just injecting it into the middle of the op, they they have made it the centerpiece of the entire controversy. Which to me is brilliant marketing. And let me tell you... I, let me play a little bit more of this tag that's at the end of this film from Jim Caviezel, and I'll just give a little bit of background on film marketing. I don't want finances to be the reason someone doesn't see this movie, so Angel Studios boldly has set up a pay-it-forward program where you can pay for someone else's ticket who might not otherwise see it. If you're able, we invite you to pay it forward by buying a ticket for someone else or if your budget is tight share the already available free tickets with as many friends as you can and just remember this god's children are not for sale god's children are not for sale it's a good tagline uh so what they're talking about there is purchasing the tickets to give away and just to give you a little bit of understanding of what the life of this particular film. So let's go to Box Office Mojo. And we'll take a look at Sound of Freedom. And you can see that in their opening day, their opening day was their biggest day. And it was a Tuesday. <laughs> they had 14 million. And then Wednesday... They drop by 71%. They're down to $4 million in their in their box office hall. It, and listen, these are great numbers. I'd, I would have killed to have those kinds of numbers for hating Breitbart. But I can tell you a little bit about the mechanics of what went on here. Likely, I don't have any inside information on this film. I just know from experience. With a film like this that has a lot of support, goodwill support from community organizations, uh, uh, from different organizations, what will happen is they'll, they'll work out deals to pre-sell the theaters. So we did this with Hating Breitbart. We worked with an amazing organization called Movie to Movement, and uh, we solicited donations to purchase theater seats and give them away, give them away to the organizations, give them away to as many people as we could. And... What that did was, it was, and it, it really was, it was for two purposes. One, it's as for me as the filmmaker, I'm just looking to get the film out there to as many people as possible. You know, if you, just to give it a little bit of context, this was Andrew Breitbart's story, and the man had died. And I really, my, my feeling at that point was, my responsibility was to try and get this film out to as many people as possible. So, I, I like the idea of giving tickets away um, because anything to get people to go see the film. And the second reason is because it gives you, it gives your marketing team a narrative to build on. You pre-sell a whole bunch of tickets. You're selling out. You're effectively selling out. Now, those are all tickets that have been essentially donated. You've taken donations for them. So 
it's not like an organic sellout. It's a little bit different. It's a guaranteed sellout. And it gives you this amazing narrative. <gasps> this film is doing gangbusters. They're selling out. What's going on with this film? Why do people want to see this film? What's this film about? And that's some of what I think was going on here. And it's, it, it was wildly successful for them. They were able to inject themselves into the narrative with it. And come, what, two weeks later, they then do a $10 million Saturday. 10 days later, 11 days later, after 11 days after opening, they do a $10 million Saturday, a $7 million Friday, and a $10 million Saturday, a $9 million Sunday. Huge numbers. Now, those numbers, those are the real numbers. Those are the numbers that are the result of a brilliant guerrilla marketing campaign. Uh, in part by Tim Caviezel. I think also, I don't have any clips of these, but the videos that were going around of AMC theaters and uh, a couple of others that were where people were having issues with air conditioning and playback and cancellations. But one of the things that people mm -hmm. were complaining about were that uh, th they said this was sold out and there's nobody here. Okay, that's not the theater. <laughs> that is what they did. They bought all the tickets to give away. And when you're sitting there mm -hmm. in a theater that's empty that they say is sold out, it's because you bought regular tickets or you got your hands on two of the given away tickets and the other tickets are registered as sales. The, the show is sold out, but if they didn't succeed in giving those tickets away, yes, that screen will sit empty. And it will play, and it will seem as though it is sold out. You'll go online, and you'll look at it. It'll say sold out, and you'll be sitting there going, all these seats are empty. <gasps> Conspiracy! No. Right. <laughs> no. Marketing gimmick. <laughs> that's, what you came, that's what you came in contact with. As far as like air conditioning being out, uh, yeah, it seems fishy. I can guarantee you, well, I, I'm pretty, I can almost guarantee you that ain't happening at the at the theater circuit level, at the ownership level, they just, they're so happy you're there. They are, they're, no theater owner is sitting there going, oh, I don't want, I don't want these Sound of Freedom people here. No, they're sitting, right. they're saying, please buy some popcorn. Here, have some popcorn, which I have to tell you, it's almost a little awkward sitting there eating my popcorn and M&Ms <laughs> through this film. <laughs> But I did. <laughs> I mean, I was like, like, you have these really dark moments where somebody's being trapped, and then you hear somebody munching on their on their popcorn. And that, by the way, that brings me to the great irony of this entire thing. The big marketing push is it's our elites doing this. It's our elites doing the child trafficking. It's our corporate media. It's corporate America that doesn't want you to see this film. Meanwhile, they're selling popcorn. They're selling corporate candy. They're selling M and M's. They're selling, uh, you know, all the their Pepsi, Coke. Like the, this film is money for Pepsi and Coke and all the candy manufacturers. The, this this film is money for all these people. <laughs> so it. I'm not sure it's it's attacking the. I'm not sure it's getting at the villain that they're that they're identifying in that respect. You see what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I still just, 
I'm wondering about the whole thing. Well, here's here's a, a you know here's I found a uh, a movie reviewer, a YouTube movie reviewer who came out. This guy, I don't know that he's he doesn't seem to be political, but I'm guessing he leans left. But here's his take on the sidewalk just after seeing the film. I was on vacation last week, so I didn't get to check out Sound of Freedom. My community was giving me about it, so obviously I went out and saw it. And here's the deal. People are very passionate about this movie because it's on a very tough subject matter, which is child trafficking. It's awful, terrible thing, but the movie doesn't get a pass just because it's on a topic that needs to be addressed. And here's the thing. The movie's two hours and 15 minutes long. I didn't like the pacing. I don't think it's as impactful as people are making it out to be. The movie definitely has its heart in the right place, so get out and see it if you want. As a critic, though, this kind of missed the mark for me in a few areas. But overall, not a terrible watch. Just not something I would say run out and see right away. So, but even this guy has to go see it. I think that that's because of the controversy of, well, first of all, the media saying, well, this is just a Q film. And then followed up with all the, what I think is guerrilla marketing of stories about, my uh, screening was interrupted. There was nobody there. Uh, the AC wasn't working. I think that's it, somebody pulled a fire alarm. I think, of course, I have no evidence of this. I think whoever pulled the fire alarm is probably connected to somebody in marketing. <laughs> okay. I think these stories fed the frenzy that led to a guy like this even going to see it. Everybody wanted him to review all his, all of his, all of his followers wanted him to review it. it they, they made this film controversial. And for a film producer, that's gold. That's gold. I can guarantee you every time there was a, a, a viral story going around about AMC and their air conditioning or uh, having to cancel a showing, the producers of the film were salivating. They were so happy. Oh, for sure. That was the best thing that could possibly happen. So, so this, guy no gives his this guy gives his review, and this is how politically charged this all is. A few days back, I did a 40-second out-of-theater reaction for Sound of Freedom, and in the quick review, I said, the movie has its heart in the right place. It is a little too long, though, and has some pacing issues. Definitely see it if you're interested in, but you don't need to rush out by any means. The outcry of comments I got were overwhelming and really eye-opening because the things these rational, definitely not mentally ill people said to me, like calling me a pedophile, a groomer, <laughs> saying that I've been paid off and that I'm part of the elite Hollywood agenda, these are all rational things. And I realized, oh my God, I love Sound of Freedom. <laughs> it really is an amazing film. People didn't know child trafficking was a thing until this movie came out, according to the comments I got. What an eye-opening experience. So yeah, Sound of Freedom, a phenomenal movie. Don't criticize it at all. Rush out and see the film right away. And if you hate child trafficking, subscribe to the channel. Otherwise you support it, according to the logic the comments gave me before, which is very reasonable. <laughs> Okay, so again, this is just, I don't think we're witnessing an op. And I don't think, no, let me take that back. We're not witnessing, we're not witnessing an Intel op, Jeremy. We're witnessing a brilliant marketing op. Okay. This film is, it's a, it's a good film. It's definitely a quality film. It's worth seeing. It is not going to end child trafficking ever. It's going to raise some awareness. It is you, by going to see it, are not participating in the 
uh, defeat of child trafficking. You're supporting the filmmakers, and that's a good enough cause right there on its own. Raising awareness is a good enough cause, but this idea that you're right. saving, that you're going to save a child by going to see this film is marketing. That's a marketing Yeah, well, that's kind of like, uh, that's kind of like, you know, you need to go vote. You know, if you go vote, you're going to save the country. Uh, vote no, with your, vote with your popcorn. Uh, <laughs> this is why, now. so now I want to get into why the media hates Tim Caviezel. Okay, now here is, this is from a YouTube channel called Looper. And I just I found Isn't it Jim. I think it's Jim Caviezel. What did I say? Tim. I said Tim. No, it's Jim, Jeremy. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> yes, you were it's wrong. Jim. <laughs> uh, was that the sound for when I'm wrong? No. That was the sound I don't know how to take off of my uh computer. We should so make I'm that the sound for that. when I'm wrong. Uh Okay, so here is from Looper a profile. This was done a few years ago, so this is not this is not recent about why uh, Jim Caviezel uh, is on the outs in Hollywood. American actor Jim Caviezel was one of the hottest heartthrobs in Hollywood. With starring roles in The Thin Red Line, Frequency, The Count of Monte Cristo, and more, Caviezel seemed primed for a long, successful Hollywood career. However, after taking on the career-defining role of Jesus Christ in Mel Gibson's controversial biblical drama The Passion of the Christ, Caviezel's big-screen career has been largely non-existent. So what happened? Hollywood Reject According to Caviezel, accepting the title role in The Passion of the Christ all but ensured the death of his Hollywood career. In fact, only minutes after Mel Gibson offered him the role of biblical proportions, the director tried to talk him out of it. As Caviezel told one church congregation, he said, you'll never work in this town again. I told him, we all have to embrace our crosses. I snipped there because that is, you know, I, I'm not educated as to Christian faith and Catholicism. But to me, that was very striking when he says we all have to bear our crosses because in taken in totality with other things that he says, I almost think he sees himself as a Christ-like figure. I don't know if that comment alone is indicative of that, I don't. I don't know what you think about that, Caviezel. Yes. From which comment? From what he said. After Mel Gibson offered him the role of biblical proportions, the director tried to talk him out of it. As Caviezel told one church congregation, he said, "You'll never work in this town again." I told him, "We all have to embrace our crosses." So he's saying he has to embrace his cross. Much like Jesus. Mm, well, yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't be that hard on him for that. Because, I, th- I mean, for Christians, we all uh, expect to be uh, persecuted for Christ. Um, it says it in the Bible that it'll happen. I don't know if he's, is he a Christian or a Catholic? Is it, he's I think a he's a Catholic. Catholic, I'm sure he would call himself a Christian. The... Uh, the uh, is it desirable to emulate Jesus in the persecution? In other no, words, no. I mean I, that's a, that part. I would say is 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 not 
I mean, I don't think it's right to 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 reenact and and make a film of the crucifixion. And okay, you're really going to have trouble with him in a few minutes. Let me play the rest of Looper here. <laughs> Even though romance certainly sells, especially you know. And by the way, the reason that I'm playing this is because I think this is really this is pretty emblematic of the mainstream Hollywood take on Jim Caviezel, at least what they say publicly. Even though romance certainly sells, especially in Hollywood, Caviezel's unwillingness to film love scenes makes him an unattractive bid for pretty much any movie aimed at adults. Caviezel told the New York Post in 2002, I have a hard time getting naked on film. I don't believe in it. I don't think it's right. In my faith, I'm taught that abstinence is important. Polish-American actress Dagmara Dominczyk said, Jim took me aside and said, you know I'm married and very faithful. And I said, Jim, it's a Disney movie. I'm not going to Such a conservative approach to on-screen intimacy can have a negative impact on building cast chemistry. <laughs> okay. I that last that last phrase got me. Such a conservative approach to on-screen intimacy can have a negative impact on building cast chemistry. So basically not wanting to shoot soft porn can have a negative impact on cast chemistry. <laughs> yeah, I hurt your career. I'm not I, I like what he said there. I personally I don't like the sex scenes in movies. I think it's I feel like I'm sitting there looking at pornography, and I'm there. I am in a room no, with strangers, yeah. and I don't like that. I I'm just not into that. I mean, we pretty much don't watch any movies anymore because of that. Because it's 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 hard to watch anything without viewing things that you know really you shouldn't be viewing. And they're doing it just to titillate. That's the, it's, that's it. It's it's, it's a marketing component of the film, yeah. it, right? It, for my biggest problem with it, it's almost always where the narrative comes to a crashing halt, and you just get this gratuitous scene. And right, you know, great, so that the people next to me can be sexually excited. Fantastic. That's I'm really into that. <laughs> you know. Not- what, why don't I just go to, to you know one of those where where did Pee Wee Herman get busted? <laughs> one of those uh, uh, operations. I don't even know what they're called. What are they? Called? <laughs> now I sound like I a, don't know. now I sound like. Of course, I know what they're called. <laughs> I'm acting no. like I don't know what they are. <laughs> it's not really that important. It's just, but it's true. I mean, for that, I think he's he's right. I mean, it's it like it it's so unnecessary most of the time. Uh, but it's it is what what people in, I do think a lot of people in the world want that in the content they consume, um, yes. or they think they're supposed to want it because it has been pushed so hard. Well, lots of guys um, like taking their dates to films like that because there's that moment where right. maybe their date will get excited and maybe they can you know uh, reenact later on. You know, I mean, I think that's a big part of it. So yeah. Uh, so here's other here's Jim's other uh, major sin. He's also been openly supportive of strongly conservative politicians. Oh, he's been supportive of strongly conservative politicians, Jeremy. <laughs> That's we can't have that. He's also been openly supportive of strongly conservative politicians and refuses to try and separate his faith from his profession, as opposed to 
like Sam Smith, who has incorporated Satanism with his profession. That's totally okay. But if you have God informing your profession, that's unacceptable and makes you totally unmarketable. He's also been openly supportive of strongly conservative politicians and refuses to try and separate his faith from his profession. As he told the Polish press in 2017, people in Hollywood keep asking me, why can't I separate my acting career from being a Catholic? My faith helps me to make the right choices. Yeah, so, uh, but this is why they really, really hate him. And I I don't think that the pushback from mainstream media is because they support child trafficking. I think it's because they despise Jim Caviezel. And this is why. This is from the event that they are claiming was a QAnon event. It was the Patriot Double Down 2021 in Las Vegas. Playing Jesus, you might say, was controversial. I should have known from the beginning, Mel Gibson said it was going to be very physical. But I was an athlete, I could handle the physical. I thought the hard part would be learning the Aramaic, Hebrew, the Latin. The language turned out to be easy. Physical nearly killed me. I first walked into Jesus' shoes to carry the cross. It felt that it weighed at least 200 pounds. From the very first day, the crowd rushed in around me. The guards hit me with whips. My arm was wedged under the heavy beam when someone yanked the cross in the opposite direction. My muscles wrenched and my shoulders separated. I fell to my knees, dropped the cross, and buried my head in the sand. That take now remains in the movie. In the later part of the film, Jesus experiences a shoulder separation on the cross. I now know what that felt like. Every day I picked up that thing. It was like a penance. It ripped into my shoulder, turning my flesh an angry red. And with each passing hour, it got heavier. But I didn't know the misery was just beginning. Later, when shooting the scourging scenes, there were three cameras surrounding me with mirrors in between. When the guards would hit the metal plank about a foot and a half away from my back, I would react as if they were landing. Mel Gibson told the guards to wind up and throw the whips like baseballs. So during one of the takes, the whip went beyond the plank, stinging me on my lower back. I thought I had an idea how those blows would feel. I had no idea. When that whip hit me, it ripped the skin right off my back. I tasted two lashes from those whips. But you know, I'm only an actor pretending that this is happening to me. It kind of helps you appreciate what the real thing was like. I inexplicably get a call from Mel Gibson. Now, my agent didn't call me. My manager didn't call, I didn't know Mel Gibson, and I wasn't politicking for the role because nobody knew what was happening. Mel Gibson wants me to play Jesus Christ. He wants the guy with the initials of JC, who just happens to be 33 years of age, to play Jesus Christ. Do you think that's a coincidence? (laughs) Now, how do you feel about his comment about bearing crosses? Uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. Sounds like he might think he's pretty important. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I think that there are a there there seems to be a uh, a group of people out there who believe that their calling is to sacrifice themselves the same way Jesus did. And I think that that's what he sees. He sees himself as risking everything the same way Jesus did. That if he gives his life, like, like you know, he, um, it, Tim Ballard talks about this too, uh, but uh, they talk about, you know, if they give their life, if they lose their life in this endeavor, it's worth it. And that occurred to me, I'm like, oh, so you are willing to die for other people's sins. Is that what you're doing? Well, that I don't know if I could draw that close of a of an equation there, but I like we like you you do have a as a Christian you do have a a I mean you're you're sort of called to be willing to die for the sake of Christ, you know, which is a martyr's death, um, and suffer persecution, you know, in his name and, and, and for his cause, not as yourself as an atoning sacrifice for other people or other people's sins, but, um, you know, there's been martyrs throughout Christian martyrs throughout history. You know, died in for the cause of Christ and for the cause of not, you know, of standing for the gospel of Christ and standing for God's word and truth. Um, maybe he, in his view, he's trying to make that, you know, claim that his acting is is that is in that. Uh, is some sort of way doing that. Um, but nobody's threatening to kill him for his acting. I, th- well, no, that may not be true. I think that, you know, when you look at people who have attempted to make these films before, a lot of them aren't around anymore. And there's some suspicion about how some of these people have died. Oh, is that right? Yeah, so I think that there is uh, some reason to be worried that you, you're 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 trying to shed light on a very dark subject and with very dark actors and uh, operators. Excuse me, I don't want to confuse the situation. Very dark operators, and I I think that th- there may be reason to worry potentially. Although I, I I he's an actor. I don't think he has a lot to worry about. I think Tim Ballard has much more to worry about. <laughs> he's actually out there fighting these people with law enforcement. So that's, uh, I think, much more dangerous. But So let me, I have one more clip of Tim and this, or Jim, Jim, excuse me, I keep calling him uh, Tim. So here's one more, uh, one more clip of him, and I think this gets at why your average liberal in a newsroom hates this guy. Now let's set the record straight. There's no argument over the choice between peace and war. 
But there's only one guaranteed way you can have peace, and you can have it in the next second. Surrender. Admittedly, there's a risk in any course we follow other than this. But every lesson in history tells us that the greater risk lies in appeasement. And this is the specter our well-meaning Christian liberal friends refuse to face. Our priests, our pastors, and now, sadly, even our Pope. That his policy of accommodation is appeasement. And it gives us no choice between peace and war. Only between fight and surrender. If we continue to accommodate, continue to back and retreat, eventually we will have to face the final demand, the final ultimatum. And what then? When Satan has told his own, he knows what our answer is going to be. He has told them that we're retreating under the pressure of his cold war and someday when the time is right to deliver his final ultimatum. Our surrender will be voluntary because you see by them we will have been so weakened from within, spiritually, morally, economically. He believes this because from our side he's heard voices pleading for peace at any price. Or better read than dead, or as one commentator put it, he'd rather live on his knees with his mask on than die on his feet. And therein lies the road to war. Because those voices don't speak for the rest of us. You and I know it and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, well, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard around the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our beloved dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, did not die in vain. Where then lies the road to peace, you say? Well, it's a simple answer after all. That you and I have the courage to tell our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which evil must not advance. Every man dies. Not every man truly lives. You, 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 we must fight for that authentic freedom and live, my friends. By God we must live. And with the Holy Spirit as your shield and Christ as your sword, may you join St. Michael and all the angels in defending God and sending Lucifer and his henchmen straight right back to hell where they belong. I think that's why they hate him. <laughs> I think that that right there would scramble the brain of just about anybody sitting in a newsroom. Any lefty sitting in a newsroom. Probably. I watched that, though, and I can't decide. Does he authentically believe this? Or is he delivering a crowd of people who authentically believe this? You're asking if he was acting? <laughs> right? He's an actor. <laughs> he is an actor. He's an actor. So I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. What he is saying... He sound... He sa I just... He sounded more to me like an actor than... 
like my pastor. Well, he is an actor. But is he uh, is he righteously indignant? Or is it a marketing ploy? Or is it an op? I don't know the answers to these questions, but I will say this. It's a good film. It's worth seeing. If you <laughs> if you have been if you have been fed up with Hollywood, if you when you go if you have stopped going to the theaters because there's just nothing that nothing that is, you know, geared towards your like, towards your tastes. This is this may very well be a film for you. Go. Go to the theater, buy some popcorn. Uh <laughs> It's delicious. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, no, I like I said, seven and a half out of ten, which is a which is a I'm uh, for some people maybe that's not a positive rating for me. That's a very positive rating. Um, I think it's it's worth seeing, but you're not going to save the world by seeing it. You're not, you know, uh, playing your role in fighting back against the system and against you know child trafficking and against the corruption in our system. You're not, it's not. Go because you want to see a film that is not your typical Hollywood film on an important subject that's done pretty well. Uh, well, wow, we blew through the first hour. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It's that time in the broadcast where we get to tell you how it is we take care of business at the Truth Bait Podcast. I said broadcast and podcast. It doesn't sound right. Uh, Jeremy, we operate on the value for value model here. Would you like to tell people what the value for value model is? We give you a show. You give us something back. That but is- it's all contributing to the to the good of the show and the good of the community, the audience, the listeners, the producers. Share the show. We produce the show. Some of you produce the show by sending in content to us. Can we you, can we highlight one of those people? I just want to yeah. call out executive producer Al and Joliet. Everyone should be like Al and Joliet. <laughs> All right. Yes. He is we have a we have a lot of great producers and I'm extremely grateful for everything they're sending in. I didn't realize what an what a producer was capable of until Al came along. <laughs> Al is a machine sending us yes. leads on stories. Uh it's it's fantastic. And, and- in fact, Al could use a, an assistant producer, probably. <laughs> right. <laughs> Al, when you find money in your budget for an assistant producer, let us know. <laughs> uh, just want to say thank you very much, Al. I actually have a story coming up that is from Al and Juliet. Uh, uh, milk dumping. That was uh, one of the ones I mentioned at the very beginning. That is directly from Al. It's incredibly helpful. It saves us a tremendous amount of time. One thing that I really like about it, in addition to the fact that it saves us a amount of uh, a time, uh, which is really valuable to you, Jeremy Siegel, while you're sitting there uh, with 15 kids, 12 of them in diapers, 
you that you're here at all doing this show is a miracle. It is your time is so precious and in high demand. I'm so grateful that you are. are are able and willing to take the time to to do this program the uh but having people our producers sending content uh, is incredibly helpful uh in addition to that though it I, I love it because it tells me what our listeners what our producers want to hear what they're interested in and what they're coming across uh, mm-hmm. to so to me that's incredibly uh useful because we're going to bring you content that is of interest to you. You are our producers, and uh, we hope that that will uh, inspire in you a feeling of even more value from this podcast, and we'll want you to, and will uh, inspire you to return more value to the podcast, sending us more content, sharing the show, rating the show, eventually just cutting us checks. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, Jeremy, I did mention that one of the stories is from Al. It is the milk dumping story. Did you see this story come across? I don't know what you're able to actually track uh, under your inundation. I saw I did that story. I did not see. Okay, so it started out. I've as, seen a story ab- about milk dumping a while back, but I don't know if this is a new okay. newer one or it, you may actually you may be confused because it started out as a China report, basically. I have music now for our China report, our China update. Nice, <laughs> I like it. You got any cashew chicken for me? <laughs> Did you get hungry just listening to that? Uh, The headline of the article he sent was, China's economic downturn is more shocking than outsiders realize, says former Chinese property mogul. And the part of this that he clipped was uh, a quote, several things have shocked me in conversations I've had with business people in China, he said. A big dairy company is producing more milk powder because people are cutting back on buying milk. Normally, this is one of the last things you would cut out. So that was the thrust of it, was that China's much worse off than we think. But like you said, huh, that reminds me of a previous story of milk dumping, and it was pretty recent. Here is from Fox 6 Milwaukee. Down the drain, truckloads of fresh milk from Wisconsin farms are skipping the stores and going into the sewer system. Madeline O'Neill joins us live near Lake Michigan with why this is happening, Maddie. Well, we're learning that the extra milk is treated before it goes into the sewer system and ultimately makes its way as wastewater into Lake Michigan. That Okay, so <laughs> you have truckloads of milk being dumped while people are having trouble affording milk. And the the most important thing in this news story, don't worry, ladies and gentlemen, the milk is being treated before we're dumping it. So there's no environmental harm. Well, maybe they don't want to put anything that clean into the lake. (laughs) One dairy expert who has been following this closely, he joked, those white caps you see in the water, those are going to be milk now. (laughs) (laughs) So funny. 
But in all seriousness, he says this is a big deal affecting our state's most famous industry. Pete Hardin says it's hard to see his industry in this state. It's a real mess. With thousands of gallons of milk spilled purposely into Milwaukee's sewer system. It's enough to gag a maggot. <laughs> it's enough to gag a maggot. Have never heard oh, that one before. Never heard that one either. <laughs> All right, so that I abandoned that one, that uh, outlet uh, at about that point. Went looking for another story. This is from News Nation. Again, this was what used to be WGN News, is now News Nation, and they have much more detail. The state's milk supply, with no home, could fill as many as fifty trailers a day, each carrying six to seven thousand gallons. It's a lot of milk. Janet Clark of the Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin joins us from El Dorado, Wisconsin. It's good to see you. Thank you very much. So was this predictable? Could this have been prevented? It just seems so wasteful, especially considering how much of America can't even put food on the table. Well, it's, you know, there's a lot of factors that are coming us to uh, in the dairy industry. We The biggest thing that's affecting this certain situation is the lack of employees within the within the milk processing um, facilities. Um, in Wisconsin here, a lot of our milk is made into cheese and they're able, our processors can fill and they want to process three shifts. And the problem that we're having is that we have only enough employees to fill one shift, maybe a second shift. So... That got me thinking this is an op because they are pushing for, you know, justification for all of the illegal immigration. We need the labor. You're, we're dumping milk and you're not getting cheese, Jeremy, because we don't have enough people because of lazy Americans who don't want to work. I don't know. That's yep. that was my that it set off alarm bells for me on that level. But there's more. We have use for all of this milk. Um, however, the biggest factor that we have is just the lack of employees not being able to be there in order to um, work. Uh, you've got hundreds of millions, if not billions, of dollars in subsidies into the dairy industry. Milk's getting poured down the drain. Retail sales of milk in the United States and dairy products have have crashed. Uh, from 2018, uh, 47 billion pounds down to 40 billion pounds, down 42 percent from 1975. I'm wondering why the American public are sub is subsidizing so much milk that we've paid a lot higher prices for over the past year to now get poured down the drain. It feels like somebody should be responsible for that. There's so many factors coming at us. We have yeah. Now we're going to start to get a little closer to the truth. The production coming in um, with cows, you know, like you said, the environment is really good right now. Cows are producing a little bit more milk. You have inflation. Wait, the environment is good right now. Good so cows right are now. producing more milk. I thought this was the hottest right. summer on record. The world is coming no, to an end. It's, it's, uh, didn't you know that cows produce more milk under extreme smog and smoky atmosphere? <laughs> right. <laughs> All that Canadian smoke. Producing a little bit more milk. You have inflation. Consumers are... Oh, wait. You have inflation. Oh, that little thing. Oh, that could... Yeah. But that's just... That's incidental. The problem is they don't have enough people working the shifts. Inflation. Consumers are... Um, that's hitting our grocery stores the most right now. So they're choosing what to, what they're going to eat and what they're going to buy. Just like in China. <laughs> Just like in China.
Yeah, so I grabbed I grabbed those because to me I just uh, you know China's economic downturn is more shocking than outsiders realize. They might not be the only ones. Our economic downturn might be more shocking than than insiders realize. And one of those luxury items sometimes is cheese. So that's why we have that extra production also. And then, like I said, with employees not being not working in the milk processing plants, we can't make and continue to make the cheese that there is demand for. Mm. And then milk is a perishable item. The demand isn't there. <laughs> Otherwise, you wouldn't be dumping milk. It's the inflation. Anyway, thank you, Al and Joliet, for the China update that actually turned out to be a Wisconsin update. Um, did you see Trump is supposed to get indicted again? Right, for January 6th this time. No. Yeah. Wait, for January 6th or... No, the for... Election interference. Oh, that is January sixth uh, for 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 attempting to overturn the election. Right, but it's not the, it's not the riots on January sixth that he's being charged with. It's for what attempting to place different electors. They're calling them fake electors. They're alternative electors. But yes, he's going to be indicted again. He says, and uh, yeah, it sounds. It, it sounds one one thing I hear is uh, now the line of questioning every single question to a congressperson or you know anybody that's a Trump ally like is being set up as like this is now commonplace for Trump like given that now it's so common that he's getting indicted all the time does this change your view <laughs> you know like whether he's innocent or not. Kind of funny. His his guilt goes to eleven, right? <laughs> uh, Does it change anything was, for you uh, if he if he's indicted again? It kind of makes me like him more, right? <laughs> it's just more. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's so. I mean, that's that's the part of me that thinks they're trying to have him be elected again because. The, it seems the more they go after him, the more po- popular he gets. But uh, there's a, a anytime DeSantis a gains ground, they <laughs> they attack Trump. Right. Well, and DeSantis isn't helping himself at all either. Um, here's DeSantis. Listen to this. I think it was shown how he was in the White House and didn't do anything while while things were going on. Uh, he should have come out more forcefully. Of, of course, that he was talking about January sixth. Oh, oh. <laughs> wow, Ron! <laughs> nice way to read the room. You know, now he goes on to say that uh, you know he's like, well, I don't know if it should be you know criminal, or- but to try to criminalize that—that's a different—that's a different issue. It- Okay, whatever, different, but still, like, you're not learning anything, buddy. <laughs> right. Your campaign has been a total, like, way worse than I expected. I thought, I mean, I didn't like the guy, and I thought he was, I mean, I think he's like a, I mean, I do think he's the deep state choice. Um, But 
like his campaign is, I mean, it's brutal. I mean, it's really pathetic. And he, he just lost a straw poll at Turning Point USA. He's third behind Vivek or Vivek, whatever you call him. Uh, and why do you think that is? I mean, you don't see Vivek out slamming Trump. But anyways, so supposedly uh, he's getting indicted. That's because Vivek works for Trump. <laughs> right. <laughs> supposedly he's getting indicted uh, again in like four days or something like that. Good evening, Nora. For the second time in just two months, former President Donald Trump receiving a target letter from special counsel Jack Smith signaling a possible indictment, this time about the aftermath of the 2020 election. The former president confirmed the development on social media, lashing out at the special counsel, calling him deranged, and revealing he was given four days to report to a grand jury, saying an arrest and indictment were expected. The special counsel would not have sent a target letter and would not be apparently poised to actually bring a prosecution against former President Trump if he didn't think he had a winning hand. Got that. This wouldn't be happening if he wasn't guilty and the prosecutor was going to win. Innocent until indicted. Right. This is a CBS report. Although it is unclear which specific charges Trump could face, his refusal to concede the 2020 election, false claims of election denial, and push for allies to fight to keep him in office, including on January 6, are well documented. The Capitol was invaded, the electoral count was halted, and the lives of those in the Capitol were put at risk. That's Cheney. Witnesses from Trump's inner circle have testified that Trump applied pressure to a sprawling group of stakeholders as he fought to stay in power, including his own vice president, state election officials, members of Congress, and leaders at the Justice Department. The question now is whether Trump's latest legal troubles create an opening for his trailing Republican rivals. Well, I don't think so. But... What I found more interesting than the, by the whole opening, thing do they mean happening. like drain for them to go right. down? <laughs> I mean, there's not, but 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 CNN had the most interesting take I think I've ever seen. Um, and it was in two places, uh, two CNN reports really zeroed in on. This telling piece of information that seems to be the nail in the coffin for Trump. Of course, on the special counsel's side, that's the Justice Department and its appointee, Jack Smith. Jack Smith is tight-lipped. He was spotted today by CNN going to Subway for lunch, picking up a sandwich, leaving, and not saying a word. So no comment from the special counsel's office on whether they plan to indict Donald Trump and when that is potentially going to happen. Okay, so there's the Subway. Uh, yeah, Sub- how much did Subway to... pay for that ad? <laughs> he went to Subway, and he was tight-lipped and wasn't saying... CNN got tipped off. He was at Subway. They've got footage of him leaving Subway with a sandwich in his hands. Mm. Okay. That so here's John... Di- that could indicate a so, lot of things. Right. So here's John King. And just one last point. Jack Smith, remember when the classified documents target letter, when Trump announced that, there was a lot of commentary. 
you know, it's Jack Smith making a mistake here. Is he leaving this all to Donald Trump? And then they released the indictment, and we all said, wow. Okay, ready? Wow. We read it. We saw the documentation. We saw the level of detail. Jack Smith going to Subway today is a message to Donald Trump. Mm. <laughs> wait now we wait we have we've had pizza gate this but is now we real, have subway gate this is a real report wow this is on C. this is two reports on cnn and that's john king that jack smith going to subway today is a sending a message to dot maybe it is i don't know I just couldn't. I, I was like, "Really? Is this really what they're they're talking wow. about?" Wow. We read it. We saw the documentation. We saw the level of detail. Jack Smith going to Subway today is a message to Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump tries to intimidate people. He tries to bully people. He tries to scare you away. That was Jack Smith with no words and a simple five dollar sub in his hand, saying, "I'm here. I'm not going anywhere." Yeah. The now here's Dana Bash, <laughs> and this part Maybe is I great. Listen to this. Yeah, the imagery was uh, was intentional and spoke volumes. The imagery was intentional and spoke volumes. Huh. As a shot of him coming out of Subway. For delicious subs made right before your eyes with fresh ingredients on fresh baked bread, it's Subway restaurants. Subway, eat fresh. That was Jared. <laughs> did did now, he, I don't know did what special to, counsel Jack Smith see Jared at Subway? <laughs> I don't know what to make of this at all. Like, why in the world is CNN like? How does that become something they zero in on? That Jack Smith got a sandwich for lunch, and that's like the end for Trump. <laughs> well, is it that that Jack is is just so casual right now? He's not sweating anything. He's just out at Subway. Like it's already done. I guess <laughs> it seems but nuts. Like, I mean, it's just it's crazy that that can't. Like if you're if you're if, a viewer, are you watching that saying, "Oh, they're right." Ooh, they, they got, got him. him. They, <laughs> they got, got him. him finally. <laughs> <laughs> finally. Like, yeah, if you're if if you're one of those people waiting for Trump to go to jail, <laughs> there's a line at Subway right now for those people. <laughs> what do you what do you buy at Subway when you know you've got the goods on Donald Trump? But like well, you, how she you describes get the it footlong. is. Yeah. <laughs> The image, that imagery, you know, the imagery, like he wasn't coming out of a subway that was like exploding. <laughs> I mean, he was coming out of a regular subway carrying a sandwich. I mean, that's the imagery. Was it a the veggie? imagery is nothing. Was it a veggie? Do we have any indication I, what he ordered? <laughs> probably was. That guy's got to be a vegetarian. Wow. That's crazy. So, I don't know. I just thought it was, I, you know, I don't know why. I don't know what it means. I have no way to dissect this oh, one. Oh, you don't know about the great subway, the great political subway indicator? <laughs> the great, yeah. <laughs> I have it on good authority that before O.J. Simpson was charged, they, the DA was at an In-N-Out Burger. And that's why he that got right? off. That's why he got off. Yeah. Oh. You don't go to In-N-Out Burger. You go to Subway. Trump, yeah, they're I mean, right. Trump is hosed. What is the symbolism of Subway here? Like, what? <laughs> what is it? It's 
because the subway is underground? Like, is there some, this is some secret underground messaging? Mm. Yeah, I don't know. So, well, 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 that's like, that's almost, that's an election update. I have election update stuff too. Oh, now that I have, you heard RFK Jr. is an anti-Semite. Yes, I have heard. Uh, makes me like him even more. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> Thank you, Jeremy. <laughs> Blowing up no, our not because he's <laughs> No, not because he's an anti-Semite, because he's called one. Right, right. Yes, yes. That definitely is reason for suspicion on the charge. This was from the New York Post. RFK Jr. says COVID may have been ethnically targeted to spare the Jews. And I'm like you when I hear the charge of anti-Semitism. I don't believe anything I read. I need to go look at the original source. So I have the clip from the original source. This was this took place at an off-the-record meeting with journalists that RFK Jr. was having. This... What was this? Is nonsense. This notion that this was off the record. This is recorded not surreptitiously. Somebody's holding their cell phone up, recording him. Somebody sitting at the table is holding up a a cell phone, recording him. So this notion that he was somehow violated his the the trust that he had with those journalists at the table was somehow violated because this was an off the record meeting is. Silly. It's nonsense. What you sounded like you were gonna say something? Yeah, I just thought maybe it meant like an actual LP. Yeah. Final record. Uh no. And it, it, it to me it's I think that well here, let's listen to the clip and then I'll tell you what I think. We have we've put hundreds of millions of dollars into uh, ethnically targeted microbes. Okay, maybe it's hard to hear because he's in a loud room. He says, we've spent hundreds of millions of dollars on ethnically targeted microbes. The Chinese have done the same thing. In fact, COVID-19, there's an argument that it is ethnically targeted. COVID-19 attacks certain races um, disproportionately. COVID-19 is targeted to attack uh, Caucasians and, uh, and, uh, and uh, black people. The people who are most immune are Ashkenazi Jews and uh, and Chinese. And but not, we don't know whether it was deliberately targeted that or not. But there are papers out there that show the you know the um, the racial and ethnic differential and of impact to that. All right. Now. Well, there you go. It's the most anti-Semitic thing <laughs> anyone's ever said. He is clearly an anti-Semite. So. Uh, the, the clearly there is a political op going on with this, calling him an anti-Semite, uh, just to score the points and marginalize him. That's obviously going on. I am as a as an agnostic Jew. Uh, I think that I, I'm the most qualified person on in the, this on this podcast to comment on this. Uh, the one thing that when he when I hear a comment like that, 
my initial reaction is, oh, that anti-Semite. No, my initial reaction is, is that true? Did it? Is, right. <laughs> that's crazy if that's true. We we got to know more about that. Is that true? I don't think it's disputed that we and the Chinese and others are uh, using are, are creating targeted biowarfare. I don't think that that's uh, a controversial comment for him to make. It's been in the news cycle many times that that the Chinese are creating targeted germ warfare against us and against others. So that that's not exactly a new concept. Uh had you had had you heard that before? I have not I've I've only I had not heard the actual audio. No, I'm saying but but, but you've heard before the idea oh. that that Yeah, 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 yeah. Ethnically Absolutely. targeted. That there's genetic right, genetically uh, target. We've talked about it on this show. We've we've covered, uh, and and Kennedy talked about it in his interview with with Jim Hoft, and that they were creating, and that we were also creating weapons that could target specific races or uh, people based on genetic uh, material. Right now, so code. I'm left thinking. Okay, well, wow, that's that's. That's pretty crazy. Is it true? That's so. That's my first reaction. Now, there is also the element of there. It's it's just unquestionable when he makes a comment like that, Jeremy. There are people out there that it just validates for them that Jews are running the cabal, attempting to destroy the world. It just does. It oh, it, sure. paint, it yeah. paints a target on the backs of Jews when he makes a comment like that. So does that make him anti-Semitic? No. Does it make him irresponsible? Yeah, I think arguably it does make him irresponsible. Uh, but, eh, maybe. But, well, I but know. I don't think that's the first question. The first question is, is it true? <laughs> if it's true, he's not being irresponsible by highlighting truth. If it's not true, it's incredibly irresponsible for him to say that. If there is just a a uh, a, a publication up on a up on PubMed and it is not hasn't been you know peer reviewed or or verified in any meaningful way, it's incredibly irresponsible for him to say that. And I have an idea as to why he would say something so irresponsible. Potentially. And it, it occurs to me because, again, this is an off-the-record event with a bunch of media. There's no such thing as off-the-record with media. <laughs> okay? A table full of media. No. Uh, maybe in the old days, but I don't think so anymore. Um, especially not with a camera out. <laughs> you know, people are watching this clip thinking, you know, they're not even thinking about the fact that somebody is sitting there with a camera recording it. How off the record that's does like, the guy think he is when somebody's recording it? That's like my favorite thing at every protest we've ever covered when somebody <laughs> walks up to the camera I don't and give says, you, permission. you don't have permission <laughs> right. to film me. I'm sorry, but you you just actually implied consent into my camera. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, but he is smarter than that. He is savvy. He is he is he has an understanding of the law. 
So here's my thinking. He's made this comment before. And this is damage control. This is a controlled release. This is him getting it out there in a way that he can control. And that way, previous instances of him saying this don't leave the news and don't come up at a time that's inconvenient for him. Could be. Have you heard him say it before? I have or something not. about it. No, I haven't. I, I and I don't know. I don't know uh, if I'm not mistaken. Didn't I have to look this up? Didn't didn't his like wasn't his grandfather uh, Joe Kennedy a like a, a Nazi supporter? Wasn't isn't there something about Joe Kennedy being a Nazi supporter? No, I don't know. But even if it even if I looked it up and it said he was, I don't know if I could believe it now. Uh, yeah. Well. I can believe it. The Kennedys have always been a very progressive family. It was progressives that were at the forefront of pushing eugenics, and uh, eugenics were the cornerstone of Nazism and fascism of its day. So I can believe it. I, I'm not. That does not make JFK, uh, RFK Jr. an anti-Semite. I'm just saying that the issue may be present in in regards to his family, in regards to his background. Uh, it just seems if you've got anything there, that's this is the way you would do it. You would do a controlled release. And again, the only reason that I'm thinking that something is very suspicious about this is because he's so adamant about claiming it was off the record. Yet the very comment he is that he made that's so controversial it was on camera, right in front of him, a camera right in front of him. So yeah. something to me says that smells that smells fishy. Yeah, even still, I I don't know. He may, like you said, irresponsible. Maybe he could have explained it better. I mean, it doesn't, it, there's, there have to be some genetic differences between Ashkenazi Jews and other Caucasians. That they're, they're more prone to different diseases and, and things like that. Um, so it would make sense that even whether it doesn't, he didn't, he didn't say it was, he didn't say it was intentional. And I don't even think he implied that it was an intentional, uh, a weaker effect against Ashkenazi Jews. He no, just said but that is the implication. He is saying, mm. uh, no, when he says that, that we have to look at the potential that COVID was genetically engineered to have specific effects, and then he says it affected Ashkenazi Jews and Chinese people less, that just leaves but the he's conclusion. Really saying that's it really, was designed. But he's really saying it was designed to attack white and black people. Uh, yes, but that isn't where he left it. <laughs> okay, and by the way, just as my just from personal experience as an Ashkenazi Jew, now maybe maybe this is revealing. This is opening up something for me entirely that I'm not actually an Ashkenazi Jew, a descendant of Ashkenazi Jews. Uh, COVID nineteen almost. I, I was an inch away from the hospital, and I don't know what would have happened to me had they taken me into a hospital. That could have killed me. But I was inches away from the hospital because of COVID. I don't so, believe you. 
<laughs> Maybe I'm discovering. <laughs> I was. My brothers were telling the truth. I am adopted. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, he didn't just leave it at that. He did say he he took it a step further to say Ashkenazi Jews and Chinese people. Now there are all. The Chinese people are not genetically monolithic, and neither are Jews. He even this is what makes me think it's not an anti-Semitism thing. He says Ashkenazi Jews. There are more than there are more Jews than just the Ashkenazi. There's the Sephardic Jews. Is he is he not anti-Semitic towards them? He's only anti-Semitic towards some Jews. Can you be anti-Semitic if you're only anti-Semitic towards some Jews, but you like other Jews? I don't know. I don't know how the rules work, but. It, to me, it seems like he's just being. Uh, I would, I, 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 just taking at face value, I would say he's being careless, not anti-Semitic. But given that there's a camera right there at the table, and he's claiming this was off the record, I smell a rat. Something's not right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't even know. I think maybe your theory is kind of interesting because I don't even think there's anything really that wrong with what he said, other than what you said that maybe it was irresponsible because there's a group of people out there that want to blame Jews for everything, that they're certainly going to take a comment like that. You know, and probably run wild with it. Yeah, well, and why would you say that if that's the case? Why would you say that unless you've got hard data that shows that that is the case, that that, that Ashkenazi Jews were somehow well, That's what exempt. I'm wondering if he actually does. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe that's maybe there's data he Now would be a good time to that, uh, make that available. <laughs> well, so that's what I'm saying. I To me, the jury's out. I, again, I don't think he's. I, I, I don't care if he's anti-Semitic. It's irrelevant. Uh, the effect is the same. That he has he has painted a target on the backs of Jews. I think the people that are calling him anti-Semitic are probably way more anti-Semitic than he is. Maybe, but it, it, again, the bottom line is he painted a target on the backs of Jews. And it doesn't matter if he was motivated from a place of anti-Semitism. He just amplified Maybe. he amplified the disaster for Jews in this country. Now, plenty of Jews have done that uh, as well, but yeah, he did. He did. Meh. He did a little bit. I don't, uh, but I don't think so. to me, well, okay, yeah. Uh, the uh, so uh, I found a uh, related to RFK Jr., but not to this particular subject. Do you remember uh, when Jake Tapper, when when Trump had just been indicted and he was in that uh, diner in Florida and the crowd was cheering for Trump and Jake Tapper said, control room, don't play any more of that footage. We don't need to see any more of that footage. <laughs> yeah. Right? So Jake Tapper acting as the gatekeeper for what is appropriate for any of us to be allowed to see. And he does the same thing with RFK Jr. Here he is, uh, Jake Tapper, on the podcast Pod Save America, very hard left-leaning podcast. Do you think on the Democratic side you would do a town hall with someone like Robert F. Kennedy Jr.? I would not. Okay. Why? Because he spreads dangerous misinformation about childhood vaccines. And I have... Um, I had a personal experience with him in 2005 when he became 
well, professional professional experience personally with him. In 2005 was when he began in earnest his anti-childhood vaccine uh, campaign. He wrote a story uh, for Salon.com that was jointly published with Rolling Stone, both of which have since rescinded uh, it, right? Yeah. Retracted yeah, yeah. the articles, and you, Rolling Stone just completely disappeared. It. It was like it never happened. Mm. Anyway. Wait, just talk about that for a second. <laughs> wow, <laughs> these guys at the table just say that like, ah, oh, it's just, uh, you know, it's just one of those well, things. and if they disappeared it, obviously that was the right thing to do. You know, obviously, <laughs> I mean, it means it was. Obviously, it means Kennedy was totally wrong. I mean, Kennedy Rolling should Stone, be disappeared too, don't you think? <laughs> Rolling Stone just, I mean, they disappeared it. They disappeared. So obviously. That's the ultimate yeah. sign of good journalism. <laughs> Responsible journalism. Anyway, delete. I, what? Delete. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, I, I just dealt with him, and he was so dishonest in that yeah. experience. And since then, he lies about the experience uh, frequently as an example of how the media is co-opted by Big Pharma. It was, <laughs> I, I did a story um, about the piece that he did for Rolling Stone. This is in 2005 when all this um, vaccine stuff was still kind of new. Mm. Um, all this, these lies about vaccines causing um, autism in kids. Um, and they're, it's completely discredited, and it's, it's not true at all. But anyway, we did a story about it. Um, I, I called him and told him, like, we were going to hold it a day. We were going to hold the story a day, and we were going to, like, just do some more due diligence on his claims. Hmm. Um, and then we ran the piece the next day. In his retelling of this story... He and I were working closely for three weeks on a terrific documentary about his discovery, um, and corporate America killed it. And I called him up and I said, it's never happened to me before that I've had a piece killed. I can't believe this. Um, like, and none of that's true. And like, he's wow. out, he literally just said this the other day on a podcast. Um, it was it was like a minute 45 piece. It ran on World News Tonight with Peter Jennings the next night. I had had a million pieces killed. I was a, I was a new ABC. I had been at ABC News for two years. I'd had a thousand pieces killed by ABC News. Like, I mean, and it's just like, he's so dishonest. And like, so no, I, I, I wouldn't. This is such a, this is such a media story. He's a liar. But, but Biden, he would do a town hall with Biden, the pinnacle of honesty. Jake Tapper never had a thousand stories killed by ABC. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. How Go many? Right. I mean, I've had I had story I had few stories killed here and there in my in my writing days. Very few. And if you look at the way media operates, I mean, every single outlet out there is in a rush to publish. These stories are not getting killed, and ABC stories are not getting killed. And his well, were not getting it, it killed. It doesn't even sound like this story got killed. It was it moved by He's a lying. day. Uh, well, I don't know who's lying, and I don't even care who's lying. I, don't, I certainly don't give Jake Tapper the benefit of any doubt. That's for sure. I wouldn't. This is such a this is such a media story, though, right? Because like that's an example of the system working. You had you had editors, you had gatekeepers, right. you had fact checkers doing the right thing, doing due diligence, killing stories, retracting them if need be. Now we're in 2023. There's right. this RFK boomlet. Yeah. 20% of the country of Democrats apparently like him because of his last name. But you have Jack Dorsey, a billionaire, founder of Twitter. But they just like him because of his last name. It couldn't have anything to do with what he is saying. It's just his last right. name. 
propping up RFK. You've got Aaron, Aaron Rodgers. Yes, a bunch of Republicans are propping him up. Yeah. They view him as a valuable foil to attack Biden. But you've got Aaron Rodgers propping this guy up. You've got Elon Musk and David Sachs doing these spaces with him. And there's no... There's no filter or layer in right. between these sort of credible-sounding lies and anecdotes and stories that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. riffs off. It's just raw information going out there without the protected gatekeepers! It's so dangerous! Sounds like we... Yeah, maybe they should have a department in the government <laughs> that right. could protect the people from hearing... The stuff he's saying. It's dangerous. He's still out there claiming that thimerosal's in... in thimerosal was this preservative that was in uh, some of these vaccines, and there was false accusations that this is right. this had some... But it's been out of vaccines since, like, 1999. Wait, it was so false. The accusations were so false that they removed the ingredient. <laughs> right. <laughs> And the rate of autism is, continues to climb. A lot of this is just people being um, more aware of diagnosis. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but there might be some chemical. I don't know. You know all the reasons, but it's not the marisol and vaccines. Yeah. yeah. And the, but anyway, I think he's dangerous. And I think. And when I say he's dangerous, I don't mean like his ideas make me afraid. No, I, I think he's dangerous because he tells parents not to get their kids vaccinated, and the kids get sick and die. We should, but he yeah. said, no, but but he, he said, I'm now in the, I'm now a big pharma shill. That's his oh, argument. Yeah, that's crazy. I, like, and it's just like I don't even know what you mean. I'm a big farm. What does that even mean? <laughs> what does that what even, does that even mean? mean? It mean it means you it means you lie because you get paid by the pharmaceutical companies. Uh, here, I'll play you a short clip of exactly what it means. This is Bernie Sanders from uh, a presidential debate several years ago. At the end of the day, and by the way, and by the way, a CNN debate. By the way, the healthcare industry will be advertising tonight on this program. Thank you, Senator. Senator Warren, it's your turn. Oh, can I complete that, please? Your time is up. They 30 will be seconds. advertising tonight with that talking point. <laughs> so Jake Tapper shuts him down the second he talks about it. Right. Yeah. You are a shill, Jake Tapper. You are an absolute shill. I mean, Jake Tapper, how many times did he push the Russia, Russia, Russia collusion lie? He's the vanguard of dangerous. Yeah. Dangerous lies, keeping dangerous lies out of our narratives. It's dangerous because the truth is dangerous. Well, here's some truth. This is this is going to sound like something I've said repeatedly. Now, as a veteran of many years in American politics, I'm going to tell you something somewhat shocking. This is Roger Stone at Turning Point. Joe Biden will not be the nominee of the Democratic Party in 2024. Kamala Harris will briefly become president, but the only way in their party they can replace a woman of color is with another woman of color. And yes, you heard it here first, the Democratic nominee for president will be Michelle Obama. They have already rigged their primaries. The reason that they have canceled the Iowa caucuses in the New Hampshire primary is to put South Carolina, a state where a majority of the Democratic primaries or Afri primary voters are African Americans, and they will allow Gavin Newsom to purchase the vice presidential nomination, but the Obamas will hold him up for six or eight hundred million dollars to do so. You heard it here first. 
when Steve Bannon says it in three weeks, remember I said it first. How many times have I said to you that it's going to be Michelle Obama, that they're positioning for Michelle Obama? At least two. <laughs> this week. <laughs> Although I've been saying it for so long that I've even had enough time to doubt myself. <laughs> and then now you come ha- back around. You, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely heard it here first. Uh, uh, not yeah. from Roger Stone. I think uh, I think Roger Stone's wrong. <laughs> I know you've always said that I'm wrong when I say it. <laughs> yeah, I think you're wrong too. Yeah, well. and if Steve Bannon says it in three weeks, I'm going to say he's wrong too. Uh, I well, don't think it will be. I have a. Bannon I think clip. she's going to be selling Plezzy. <laughs> <laughs> that awful drink. Uh, I have a Bannon clip, and this comes by way of executive producer Anne. And I thought you might have this because you know. I can't believe you would ignore our content that she's sign- sending us. That seems very dangerous for you, but uh, but I will pick up the slack. And this is from executive producer Ann. It is Bannon at the same event. We don't have time for a diversion. We need to be focused right now on the election apparatuses in Wisconsin, Georgia, Arizona, and to get behind Donald Trump and get serious about taking this country back. This is a crusade. This is a holy war against the deep state. Donald Trump is our instrument for retribution. I don't want to hear Glenn Youngkin in a vest. I don't want to hear Kemp with his George axe. I don't want to hear it. Donald Trump is our instrument for righteous indignation. There he is stealing Andrew Breitbart's line. Right. Uh, which makes me wonder if the... T- I wonder where Andrew got the title for Righteous Indignation. Did it did it originate in any way from Steve Bannon? And I'm wondering if Righteous Indignation is some sort of a signal. Because Steve says it. Uh, Jim Caviezel has said it. It's, it sounds almost like a wink, wink, nod, nod. Uh, the same way Build Back Better was uh, a, a way of signaling the, those people who were supported Build Back Better. They were signaling to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what are that they is, signaling? That they're in the same club, that they're on the same team. Mm. Um. I, I I have no idea. I mean, I'm just I, I, my mind wanders. But th- that is some serious fire and brimstone. Uh, he sounds mad. <laughs> Again, if he's an op, it makes perfect sense. He is riling up the crowd in the most dramatic of fashion. He's getting them ready for war. Yeah, that's a could be dangerous trump's gonna do on the afternoon of the 20th after he takes the oath gonna go up to the white house no not not no lunch no lunch with the big swells no lunch in the capitol with all these guys forget that forget that he's gonna go up and before he even has the parade he's gonna do the following he's gonna declassify everything 
Does it sound like Bannon just got a southern accent? <laughs> Who are they trying to hold the em- We know the enemies, the Chinese Communist Party, the KGB, the mullahs, and the administrative state. They're trying to keep the information from you. You're the most powerful force in the history of mankind. The revolution, the civil war, World War II. There is nothing ever defeated the American people. And an informed... An informed American citizen with the consent of the governed that does not comply needs that information. You know what we're first going to do? We're going to release the all the assassination files. On- Did you catch that? He doesn't say, yeah. you know what Trump's going to do. He says, you know what we are going to do. You know what we're first going to do? Comply needs that information. You know what we're first going to do? We're going to release the all the assassination files on John F. Kennedy. Who is this we? That's a good question. <laughs> him he, and Trump? Him and Trump, I guess. He's going to be Maybe back in the White House. he's going to be the vice president. He's the, he's the strategy czar. He uh, could be the vice president. <clears throat> We're running. We're running behind at this point, but I want to quickly, if I can, play some of the. Did you see the Tucker Carlson event that is going around? It's all viral. Clips are viral. For yeah, I've seen a couple of clips. I saw that one of uh, the robot. <laughs> yeah, okay, so here I have. This is the. This was the one. This was the clip that went viral. You are are distressed that the Ukrainians don't have enough American tanks. Every city in the United States has become much worse over the past three years. Drive around. There's not one city that's gotten better in the United States. And it's visible. Our economy has degraded. The suicide rate has jumped. Public filth and disorder and crime have exponentially increased. And yet... Your concern is that the Ukrainians, a country most people can't find on a map, who've received tens of billions of U.S. tax dollars, don't have enough tanks. Right. I think it's a fair question to ask, like, where's the concern for the United States in that? Well, it's not my concern. <laughs> Tucker, I've heard that routine from you before, but that's not my concern. So that clip went absolutely viral. And probably rightfully so, <laughs> because that's a horrible thing for him to say. That's not my concern. The plight of American cities is not my concern. Now, Pence came out swinging after this went viral and said, oh, how about you play the entire clip? That's not what I was talking about. Okay, so I went back and found the longer context. I don't think it helps him, but here, let's play it. I know you're running for president. You are are distressed that the Ukrainians don't have enough American tanks. Every city in the United States has become much worse over the past three years. Drive around. There's not one city that's gotten better in the United States. And it's visible. Our economy has degraded. The suicide rate has jumped. Public filth and disorder and crime have exponentially increased. And yet... Your concern is that the Ukrainians, a country most people can't find on a map, who've received tens of billions of U.S. tax dollars, don't have enough tanks. I think it's a fair question to ask, like, where's the concern for the United States in that? Well, it's not my concern. So now when he says that's not my concern, he is talking about the first time Tucker says concern, that you're concerned about the number of tanks that 
Ukraine has. And he's saying, no, that's not my concern. Uh, okay. <laughs> but still. Yeah, but before that, he was saying it was his concern. Right. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's what caused Tucker to act. Because I watched a clip that had Pence talking before Tucker cut him off there. And that's what Pence was talking about. Pence was talking about getting more tanks to Ukraine yes. and stuff. Yes. Of course. So it, Tucker's it, like, wait a minute. You're concerned about that? Yes. So Pence's whole thing, right? No, but but look, nah. in in I, I'm not defending the guy. I'm just saying that he likely, when he was saying that's not my concern, he wasn't saying the American cities are not his concern. He was he was trying to say that the tanks are not his concern. Now you're right. That's that's bogus. He's he was just prior concerned about the tanks that they were getting, right? Uh, so so that's nonsense. But uh, my my point being, it doesn't matter. He, this guy is such a tool. He's so politically inept that that he allowed himself to make this ridiculous sounding comment. And he didn't even what yeah, he should have done anyways. was correct himself in the moment. But he didn't even have the wherewithal to correct himself in the moment. Ah. He should be. I wonder if he paid Tucker to do all this because it's the most press he's gotten. Nobody's even talked. No, I'll about tell you who's paying Tucker. Campaign. It's Trump. It's Trump who's paying Tucker. Tucker yeah, dismantles right. every single one of these guys, yeah. one after another. Here's Asa Hutchinson. Permanent change is one issue, but also hormonal treatment is a different issue and can be a different issue. And whenever you look at the bill that I vetoed, there was not any grandfather clause in there. Again, uh, I respect legislators that have a different view, but I think independently, I think of the parents, I think of the Constitution, and actually the court, if you read the decision of the federal judge that struck it down as unconstitutional, really sided with parents as well. But how is, whenever- it, tre- but how is it treatment? I guess that's my question. If you have a child who says, who's born a boy, I want to become a girl, he hasn't gone through puberty yet, he's say 10. Is it treatment? to prevent him from going through the natural process of adolescence? How is that treatment? It, it seems not like treatment. It seems like something else. Well, you have to... Tucker, I hope that we'll be able to talk about some issues. I know that... Well, this is can... one of the biggest issues in the country, and I think I would every person in this room would agree that it is a, a central issue because it, these are children who are being altered permanently, and you can defend that alteration, that change, if you like, but there's really no debate about whether or not it's permanent. And so I think it's fair to ask you in a calm, rational, and I very much hope polite way, why you would support that. Well, I didn't say what I supported, I said what I vetoed. And whenever you look at at children and what they're challenged with in life, I think it's important that in the most sensitive issues that parents are able to guide them through that challenge. And so I don't like the schools pushing transgenderism. I don't want the schools, uh, for example, when President Obama issued the uh, order from the Department of Education that you ought to have bathrooms in the schools that uh, the children can choose what their gender is and go to which bathroom they think they are that day. I said that is not consistent with the law. I said that... No, but you said that children should be able to choose their gender and their parents should be able to affirm that and the state has no role 
in getting involved. So how is that different? You're saying that a child shouldn't be able to choose a bathroom, but he can choose his sex. I don't understand. Let me finish okay. what I Great. said. Let me finish. Oh, I hope you if will. you don't mind. Oh, please do. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That was like... I mean that that's what they did to Trump in the debates. Right. Yeah, that he goes on and dismantles Nikki Haley. As a mechanical question, it's not a trick question, it's just like the mechanics of it, something you're thinking about since you're running. I don't think anyone would say Joe Biden was a great candidate. No. Didn't campaign. He didn't campaign at all. He was not a figure who commanded respect among Democrats. They made fun of him. I'm not attacking the guy, but that's true. Right. Nobody in Washington said, I want my kid to grow up to be Joe Biden. <laughs> and yet, at the end, he's got 81 million votes. 15 million more than Barack Obama, who, whatever you think of him, was a very talented politician and, I think, smart. So, like, how did he do that? And what can we learn from that? Well, what you can learn from it is what we did in South Carolina. I said in South Carolina, if you've got to show picture ID to buy Sudafed, if you've got to show picture ID to get on a plane, you should have to show picture ID to protect the integrity Amen. of the election process. So, you know, and we have to make sure election integrity is something we don't ever stop. You have to continue over and over. We've had some states who've done some great things and they've put voter ID in place and that's been great. We still have some other states who haven't done anything. And we need to make sure we're doing what we're supposed to. I mean, we saw during COVID a lot of people, a lot of um, secretaries of state changed rules without getting state legislative support. We saw a lot of that happening. We saw a lot of mail-out balloting. We've got to make sure we continue to fight to make sure we have integrity in the election process. Because I saw at the United Nations, you never, when you have your people lose faith in an election system, that's the first crack of a, of a country falling apart. We have to keep fighting for this. We have to make sure we get it done. Yes. So when I asked about the 81 million votes, you immediately said things I think I, I agree with about election integrity. Yeah. So are you suggesting that that last election, it sounds like you're saying you don't think it was on the level. Are you talking about the presidential? That's correct, the presidential. Yeah, no, I mean, I think we all know that there were irregularities in there and that there were some issues that happened. We know that there was mail-out balloting that shouldn't have happened. I, do I think that changed the results of the election? No, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> and here he, he nuked... Uh, Mike Pence, I'll play one more short clip on Mike Pence. He nails him. I can't wait to hear what you think about this. It's the first state to do this. I'm somebody that believes that you ought to be required to give a picture ID when you go in to vote. We ought to have voter ID in every state in America. But with regard to voting machines, I would tell you we had them in Indiana, but they, in Indiana and elsewhere, they produce paper ballots. Recounts were taken in, in, in uh, states around the country. And I think it's absolutely essential that we do everything in our power to restore public confidence in the, in the one person, one vote principle at the heart yeah. of this republic. Why not just get rid of electronic voting machines and call it a day and then we don't have to debate it? Well, I'm... Uh, I would certainly be open to that. Is there a downside? <laughs> but but what, I, what I believe, Tucker, is that states govern elections. States ought to conduct our elections. In fact, our founding fathers debated this at the Constitutional Convention. So, 
<laughs> that set off little alarm bells for me. That was to me that was worse, way worse than his other, you know, flub. <laughs> that, yes. That, I and, agree. And but good, and I'm glad that he said it. Because, What's it mean? What does it mean? Because Republicans are fixing elections, too. Thank you. That's exactly what it said to me. Mike Pence doesn't want to get rid of the machines because he uses them, too. Yeah, none of them want because they controlled all these elections in all these yeah. states for years yes. with their fake, their <laughs> yes. fake votes. Yes. Uh, last clip is, uh, and again, this is why I think that Tucker is working for Trump, and I think Vivek is Vivek is working for Trump as well because uh, Tucker destroyed everybody on stage except Vivek. Something you can't say is that maybe January sixth, while appalling on one level, maybe it was not an insurrection. So let me let me talk about. I've, I haven't. Had- and I have to play this clip because it came from Big D and AZ, who thought that this answer coming from Vivek was very, very smooth. It was a very good answer regarding whether or not January 6th was an insurrection. I haven't talked about this much in the campaign. I'll be very honest with you. You want to know what caused January 6th? There's such a temptation to say that there's one man whose name is unspeakable. We right. can't no, first of all, it's QAnon. It's QAnon. It's QAnon. <laughs> you want to know what caused January 6th? is pervasive censorship in this country in the lead up to January 6th. You tell people in this country they cannot speak, that is when they scream. You tell people they cannot scream, that is when they tear things down. And so, so okay, I, I, I personally didn't think that this was all that clever of a response because he's avoiding saying, of course it wasn't an insurrection. He sort of skirts it. Well, he makes a good point that, yes, that is what fueled what happened, but I thought he sort of sidestepped it. Uh, but at any rate, his encounter, the encounter between the two of them was congenial, <laughs> which left me thinking that, yeah, that, okay, now I see who's working for Trump. Um, my last clip today is... A very fed up mom. Uh, everybody, every mother out there, you should all listen to this woman. Be like this woman. So I filed the first federal lawsuit against woke indoctrination in America. She's talking to a school board. In Nevada. And I live here now. And if my daughter is taught CRT at all, I will sue you. If my daughter is taught SEL at all, I will sue you. SEL is social emer- emotional learning. I am encouraging every parent I know to sue you. <laughs> to sue every teacher, principal, every system, everybody up the chain. Because we're tired, y'all. We don't need CRT. We don't need SEL. We don't need. Hey, and listen, I'm an atheist, bisexual, biracial. Homeless person, I want school choice. I do not want my child to be taught that just because she's black and a woman, she ain't gonna make. I do not want my child to be taught that she needs to express herself sexually in her classroom. And in the Bible, there's no depictions of none, not one. Let's do the context. 
right? In the Bible, or in Chaucer for that matter, there's no depictions of That's not happening. In no classic ever. This is the context. This is what we're talking about. Y'all are tripping. Every single day, we go to schools and we see our teachers lie to us. Lie right to our faces. And y'all say you have your best, our best interest at heart? So where, why, do, why does everything have to be so difficult? Why can't we just go to people and say, hey, look, this is wrong. And state the reasons why, and then they fix it. Why does it have to be X, X amount of steps to get to where we need to be? Why do you have to be a lawyer in order to figure all of this stuff out? I swear to you, I promise you, I will turn this into a class action lawsuit ambulance chasing business. And you're going you gonna to understand. The reason why teachers are leaving, because I had dinner with a teacher from, uh, from Austin last night. They're leaving because they don't want to give their pronouns. They don't want to have to supervise people in the bathroom because they're having in the bathroom. They don't want to have to deal with that stuff. They don't want to have to deal with these, these kinds of issues. They're, you know, and we don't have to invalidate all of these teachers' issues with their, with their emotional support learning. We don't need that. Our kids are not your emotional support animals. Stop treating them like that. I'm a mother. A mother, not a birthing person. I earned that right with my cellulite and my stretch marks. You're not going to do this to us. We will fight you every single day from now on. I have said it before. I will say it again. It is the black community that is going to save this country. <laughs> mm, I don't know. I, I, some are definitely doing some good work, but uh, well, hard to accuse her of being a racist. When she comes out speaking against CRT. Oh, one quick note I wanted to add. She's a transphobe. She's a transphobe. (laughs) Right, clearly. Well, she came out speaking against CRT. That was the first thing she said. Uh, Just a quick note on that milk story. I did a little bit of math on that, Jeremy. It's 50 trailers a day. At 6,500 gallons each is 325,000 gallons of, sp- of spilled milk every day. And I looked it up. Each cow can give you about six or seven gallons a day. All right. So if you divide 325,000 by seven, that is 46,000 excess cows in Wisconsin. Well, sounds like we should kill them all off. It's going to be a lot of very good veal coming on the market at cut rate prices. Thank you to our producers. Thank you to Alan Joliet. Thank you, Big DNA Z. Thank you, Ann, uh, executive producer Ann. Thank you, Jeremy Siegel. Uh, I said it earlier, I'll say it again. I am uh, thankful and impressed at your ability to continue doing this program with everything you have on your plate. You are a dedicated man, dedicated to the truth, and dedicated to our audience, and I love you for it. Thank you. Well, what kind of cultural therapist would I be if I wasn't here? <laughs> 
<laughs> well played, Jeremy. Well played. <laughs> All right. Listen to us every Tuesday and Friday when we bring you a new episode of the Truth Bait Podcast without fail. To the best of our ability. And now, back into the sea of clickbait with us all.